HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So today I'm here with James Wetler, founder of Cabrito in the UK and author of the book Goat, Cooking and Eating. James, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor to be on the Heritage Radio Network. Amazing. And you came from... Uh, we flew from London on Monday night. It all gets a bit sort of fuzzy when you <laughs> fly overnight. Um, so yeah, we, yesterday was the first sort of full day in in New York. But I've I've been before. So I've, I I came over to meet all the guys from Heritage Foods, Patrick and Emily and stuff, um, in March just to talk about October and how we could work together. Right. Um, and there was obviously some result there because here I am back again for it. Amazing. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about raising and eating goats because you mentioned this month is Goattober yeah. um, and somewhat coincidentally, not quite coincidentally, but is it's an initiative that was started by the last host of this show, The Farm Report, Aaron Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it all comes full circle. Um, so 
I have lots of questions about goats and what you do. Um, let's start with the most important question, which is why are goats so ridiculously cute? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. So their mothers love when they're born, I guess. I've got no idea. Um, you sent me the picture for the episode of you holding the goat. And I was uh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Well, that maybe doesn't... When you're talking about goat meat, that's maybe not a great place true, to start. True, true. Yeah, but I know. I, I, but think, I, think, I think that there is something in sort of more broadly. They are amazing animals. I mean, mm. generally, they are, they're really smart. They're incredibly useful. And they have played a really important role in human development in terms of farming mm. since they were first domesticated in the in the mountains of northern Iran in 11,000 BC and I think that is something that has been overlooked by by society generally we don't really think of goats as playing a big part in sort of agricultural mix because we're so used to sheep and cows and pigs and chickens and stuff mm-hmm. but goats goats partnership with humans is really fundamental and I think that that's the stuff that sort of I like to talk about in, a, in the attempt and basically what I'm doing is rebranding goats because they do have this bad reputation. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot that it's a really goats and humans is a really fascinating story. Oh, so how did you get interested in that story? Uh, well, I mean, there was no grand plan. I mean, we didn't come up, we didn't get into goats because we thought we sat down and wrote a business study and thought like, well, business plan and thought, what is the gap in the market? Mm-hmm. My partner and I, Sushi, um, my partner in both business and life, mm-hmm. have two kids and stuff. Um, we moved back to Devon where I grew up, which is a sort of a county in the southwest of England, quite rural, Okay. after I'd been a chef in London for 12 years. And we were sort of lent this little area of land about half, about the size of a baseball pitch. Um, and it was some friends of ours, but it was really overrun. So we were going to get some pigs and put some pigs on it. Mm. Um but the next door neighbours didn't want us to have pigs, so we ended up with four goats. So we went to a local cheese producer who was producing on quite a small scale. Mm-hmm. He had like 120 goats. Okay. And um, we bought four off him, put them on this piece of land. And in that time we had them, over the six-month period when we fattened them, I learned about the, the, the billy goat problem, in inverted commas, um, the idea that the dairy system doesn't have any use for these excess males. I was a, I'd been a chef previously in London for 12 years. I was cooking in... Axminster in Devon at the time when the goats were ready to be when they'd done their job clearing this piece of land I put them on the menu in the restaurant I was working in they sold really well Mm. and I had this kind of light bulb moment just and thought I know that Will the farmer who we bought these goats from had these probably 70 or 80 billies he wanted to get rid of I was working in a restaurant and I had access to this London restaurant market because I'd worked in it and I knew it Mm. and I thought maybe I could sell solve Will's problem maybe I could pay for a holiday you know and just mm. have a bit of extra cash and do this little thing on the side while I carried on cooking but within 18 months I'd quit cooking full-time and I was selling goats yeah. and we became more involved in in Europe there are much, the sort of goats dairy sectors much more commercial in terms of its sort of <clears throat> operational design okay like so as I understand it, in the sort of upstate area in New York and sort of the New England area where you produce cheese here, mm-hmm. they're much more small-scale farms, maybe 150, 200 nanny goats, and on and on farm production. In the UK, it's much more like dairy production is. So you have rotary parlors, 2,000 nanny goats. You know, it's okay. a much more much more mechanized industrialized system so that means that there's you know, there's a hundred thousand milking nannies in the uk and that is a, in a sort of in a dairy system a dairy system of production that are producing lots of liquid milk Two thousand nanny goats on a farm means there's two thousand billy goats without a future 
you know, is with a pretty grim prognosis. They're being shot, basically. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that. So you sort of mentioned this problem, but can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, so, so sure. The, they're so, giving birth, the goats that are actually used for dairy are giving birth to goats that are then male and then there's no use for them correct i think i've seen i've seen on youtube erin fairbanks Mm -hmm. describe it as we all understand basic biology and yet we don't make the connection between lactation pregnancy and birth yeah you know so in order to in order to create lactation from a man when you need pregnancy we all understand the consequences of pregnancy being offspring Mm -hmm. nature dictates as a 50 50 split between males and females a dairy industry doesn't have any use for males in theory you only need one I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that because they work on genetics. But if you have a, if you have a dairy system with two, two and a half thousand nanny goats in that system, you probably only need six billy goats in order to service those females okay. to create the lactation. So in an overwhelming majority of cases, the, the nanny goats will have two kids, boy, girl, 4,000 kids, 2,000 males, 2,000 males you don't need. Okay. And there is... Given that there's no market in the in the US or no market in Europe for male billy goats, the in an overwhelming case, in an overwhelming number of cases, they were shot. They're shot, and then what's feedlots maybe or burnt, wow. but not going into the food system. Right. And when you're talking about this, it's quite when you're talking about this system, it's quite easy just to point the fingers at the farmers and say, "This is your fault because you're the one euthanizing them." Mm-hmm. That's not the right way to think about it. You know, as consumers, we're responsible for that as well. And mm-hmm. retailers are responsible for that as well. So it's not that one particular person is responsible. Everybody's responsible for the food system that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have... So if you think about it in terms of the farmers don't want to rear those animals because they, you can't expect an animal to rear... You can't expect a farmer to rear an animal that doesn't have a market for Right. It. You know, he's going to end up putting $100 into that, into the life, into the rearing of that animal. And then he's not going to be able to sell it. So there's $100 down the drain. Yeah retailers who are selling on the cheese they don't want to they don't want to think oh actually you should be buying these goats as well because at the moment they're getting shot because retailers don't want that kind of um reputation attached to those products or to their brand and us as retailers we're just happy eating our cheese and not thinking about where it comes from Mm. and what we try and say when we try and sell when we're trying to sell goat meat to people is say and i think this is something that is not just applicable to goat meat the consequence there are consequences to your purchasing decisions you walk into a deli and you buy a piece of goat's cheese. Somewhere down the line, the consequence of that purchase is a dairy system that's shooting Billy, perfectly healthy billy goats. Mm-hmm. You can offset that by saying, well, instead of every time I go to the store, I'm going to buy some lamb or some beef or some pork for my meat protein, I'll buy some goat. And that will offset that, will offset that purchase decision a little bit. And that it and. It will make the dairy system more sustainable, but crucially, not just sustainable in an environmental sense, which is obviously really important. Right. It will make it more sustainable in a financial sense as right, well. Right, because you're paying the farmer, you're providing yeah. a source of income, right? We put 20% on the turnovers of the farms where we buy everything. Wow. You know? So, the, and that also, there are attached savings of that. You then, they're buying their feed and their straw and they're buying everything in larger quantities, which means they get a better price for it. Mm-hmm. So the whole system becomes more sustainable. And it also... It also shows that these animals, these goats are producing dual purpose animals. As you know, dual purpose animals is the holy grail in farming. You want it to produce Mm. milk and good meat. And these goats do do that. And Mm. it's just been, it has suited everyone to think of goats as an inferior quality product because that kind of gives you a bit of a pass for not rearing them, you know. And it 
the whole, talking about it now, you know, I've been doing this for six years and it, I still can't get the past the idea that we allowed a system to be built up that was predicated on the idea of 50% of the offspring born on the farm would be shot and burnt, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's just insane that that sort of is, is even allowed. And it also struck me as just being really stupid. You know, it's just a really stupid thing to do. And that, I think that was kind of the motivation behind it. We felt like this is so dumb that there is a solution out here. None of it feels sort of unachievable. Right. So you mentioned these farms where, you know, you might be buying 2,000 um, goats. What's the, what's the scale of your business now? Like how many goats are you buying a year? Or like I'm curious. Just, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, in the UK, there's 100,000 milking nannies. Okay. 50% of those are in the sort of commercial sector. So they're on larger farms up to, up to two, 2,500 milking nannies on a farm. We work with a company called Delamere and Delamere it's going to get quite complicated now. Delamere are <laughs> half of that commercial sector. So they have about 20,000, 25,000 goats in their, uh, in their system. And we buy about 60, 65% of all the billy goats that they produce. Mm. So we're selling anywhere between 40 and 60 goats uh, a week. And we have a number of outlets. We have a shop on the website. And we also have, well, the majority of our business is direct to restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, so there's still a long way to go. I mean... For me, it feels like we we take maybe 20, 25% nationally of all the billy goats born in the UK. Okay. And that feels like hopefully the hardest 20, 25%. You know, getting it from zero to 20%, you'd think it would be easier to get it from 20 to 40. And then, mm -hmm. and the goal is, I mean, Cabrito is a very simple business and it has one, it has a one line mission statement of all the billy goats in the dairy system into the food, all the billy goats in the dairy system into the food system. Mm. You know, and that's the one line. And that's kind of what we, that's the goal, you know, and we've had the success that we've had has been driven by sort of the collaboration between farmers, me as the supplier in the, as the middleman and then restaurants and using the restaurants to showcase, you know, the thing about restaurants, like we've got this tonight, we've got this uh, dinner at Claro in Brooklyn with right. TJ Steele. Basically chefs are pay, chefs pay me to buy my product and then they make it look as good and taste as good as possible. And that's what TJ is going to do tonight. Mm. So if you want, if I can go, I can start talking to someone and say, my product is delicious. They can walk into Claro and have TJ cook it and they can taste and see it's delicious. And mm. that is a, it's a, such a handy tool for suppliers. And I think there's a, there's a really interesting interface there between problems in the food system, suppliers that are trying to fix it and using chefs as uh, sort of, uh, as ambassadors for your product and therefore a more sustainable food industry. And I think that's kind of a, a model that can work really well. Right. And part of this model is you talk a lot about eliminating waste, right? Which yeah. is, is huge, huge uh, part of what you're doing. Um, in terms of the animal itself, like how much of a goat are you able to use? So, you know, it's like we talk about utilizing a whole animal. Like I have no idea when it comes to goats, like, um, are you take, can you only use meat from one part of the animal? No, or, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, and it's it's so fascinating. There are so many misconceptions around this animal mm. that was the first ever domesticated farm animal. <laughs> you know, we still, it's like goat is shrouded in mystery for some reason it, and it, it's quite obscure and it, that doesn't. So a good rule of thumb is anything you can do with a lamb, you can do with a goat. Okay. So they are essentially, the thing, of the, the advantage or one of the things that lamb, lambs, lambs don't look like lambs did 3,000 years ago. You know, lambs have been altered to 
to into meat animals by years and years of selective breeding. So lambs have these big legs, big back ends. They have big, large shoulders, and goats don't have that. Goats are much more, much more sort of wild. They mm-hmm. look, they're much. They have not been manipulated by humans for meat animals. All of the sort of all the work on genetics in terms of uh, improving the animal as a farm animal has been done on the dairy side. So okay. talking about yields and making making animals better at producing more milk. It's never been done on the meat side. Whereas in pigs and in, I mean, something the heritage talk a lot about is genetic mm-hmm. work in, in animals. Um, so the improvements in terms of yields and in, the improvements in the animals from a farming perspective has all been done on the dairy side. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we the, book, the, the book's got 70 recipes in it. And it's, you know, it's got everything from burgers and pasta sauces through to roasted legs and, and smoked and braised shoulders. So there isn't, in food terms, it is, it is as versatile as lambs. I think the advantage that goat has is that it it spans so many cuisines. Mm. So it is a truly global food. So if you and one of the things that we talk about people that have talking to people that have never cooked goat before, I'm like, well, the thing about it is it will it will expand your home cooking repertoire because it will force you to go and find something you've probably never cooked before, mm. and it and that's a really exciting thing to do. But that said, if you it goes in burgers and pasta sauces, so you can make you can make it with things you are familiar with as well. So it's a really once you get over the fact that it's something you're not used to eating, it's actually really accessible. There isn't anything about it that requires any different skills than anything else that you cook. Right. So did you? But did you have to do a lot of education about that with um, people in the UK? I mean, I feel like in the US. Well, I, I had to learn myself yeah, first. Right. You know? Six years ago, when I first started doing this, I didn't have any other. No- I didn't have any more knowledge than the next person yeah, did yeah, about goats. So, true. it was only. I mean, I was lucky because I have a chef background, so I'm used to working with food. I'm a half decent butcher. I can cut up an animal. So, it was that sort of, you know, a rabbit. The structure of rabbit for butchery is pretty much the same as you know. It, they just get bigger the animals just get bigger right. up to a cow. <laughs> so if you can take if you can butcher a leg of a rabbit you can pretty much butcher the leg of a goat so yeah. it was it wasn't it wasn't i never found it really alien but i i just it's a cultural thing i mean we don't have any mm. history of eating culture of eating goat in the uk we don't have in western society more generally we don't have a history of especially northwest europe and sort of the us we don't have a history of eating them and that is the that is the thing that has I often say, you know, we started a business with no product because the animals didn't exist because they're all being euthanized. No market because no one ate meat coats and 900 years of cultural history against us. <laughs> and yet we still went into business. So it was, you know, it was probably not a wise decision, but it's turned out right in the end. Yeah. What are, I mean, do people um, come to, into eating goat with like misconceptions about it too? Or like, or, or a specific it idea is, about what the meat is like? It's unbelievable. I mean, is it, there are people even... Quite often I get, because we have this shop on the website, mm. and quite often people email me and say how the animal slaughtered because they assume that there must be some sort of ritual slaughter because they have this association with halal food. And it's uh. like, like, I can kind of understand it, but it just shows the sort of mystery that shrouds mm-hmm. goats. They have to be killed in a certain way. Of course they don't. They, mm. They're slaughtered in slaughterhouses like under EU regulations like all the other animals in the UK. So, yeah, they do. And people have people have this idea Essentially, people think that goats are, you know, second-rate animals that are tied to a fence post with a piece of string that eat plastic in people's hats, <laughs> yeah. and you know that, that right. really, and they're not, you know, they're scrawny and smelly and all those things. And that is a, that's really, that's a really adhesive idea. You mm-hmm. know, it's hard to break, they'll break away from that. 
So one of the things that we talk about a lot is that these are well-reared, well-farmed, well, well, uh, farmed, sort of really healthy, well-reared animals that, are, that deserve a place in the food system, you know? And it, like I said, it's kind of suited everyone for them not to have that because then it makes it kind of easier to justify their slaughter because they're not very good animals, you know? But that it just isn't true. Mm. So... Yeah, I think in writing the book, we tried to, you know, there's the history of humans and goats, which contextualizes everything. But then the, the selection of recipes, you've got stuff that people are really familiar with, plus stuff that you, people aren't so familiar with. And just to show that sort of, as I said before, the sort of the, the, the cross culture nature of it, mm-hmm. and it's sort of global reach. But one of the things, one of the things I like cooking most out of the book is the kibanya, which is like a raw sort of Middle Eastern version of tartar mm. because it is because it's a raw goat product and people assume the goat is tough they, presume, they assume it's gamey they assume it needs a lot of cooking they assume that it's going to be really flat, like really strong in flavour and kibber which is raw chopped raw chopped goat and you, you keep pounding it with a knife until you get that kind of pastiness in the raw meat and then you mix it with 50-50 bulgur wheat and then loads of lemon loads of soft herbs like mint and chives and parsley and tarragon and dill and then you and then that's it mm. it's this like pile of raw meat and bulgur and people try it and it's the exact opposite of what they were expecting hmm. first of all it's raw so it doesn't require any real cooking to get that to get that toughness out of it right and it's got a real because they're quite young animals they have a sweetness to them and a kind of really light musky tone and a kind of light ironiness that you get in raw meat um and it, and it's the it's the most effective way of changing people's minds. Interesting. Just say, try this because it's not what you expect. Right. So it's, I mean, that that's kind of a shortcut way of, of of taking a recipe and showing people it's not what they expect. But at the same time, that if you want people to, f- if you're trying to create a bridge for people to get in to go, then putting there's three curry recipes in the book because that's what people are familiar with. And that's that, like I think how I immediately when I was like thinking when have I had goat I'm like oh and goat curry. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure and it, you know it is an advantage for goat that there it is known as a that, I mean that that sort of Caribbean curry goat mm-hmm. is a world food everybody's aware of it. That is a blessing and a curse because everybody associates it associates it with one dish it makes it quite hard to get them to think about it in another way mm-hmm. but at the same time at least it's part of the conversation about food. Right. You know. Um, so we have to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, the relationship you mentioned between humans and goats and sort of the role that goats play in pharmacology. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's honestly, it's fascinating. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. One Hundred Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. One Hundred Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to twelve-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. 
Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio. I'm here with James Wetler, and we are talking about goats today. Um, yes, so, my specialized subject. Yeah, we got through a lot before the break. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, a little bit more about farming, considering the show, sure. right? <laughs> we started talking about eating a lot, I think, just because, you know, you get excited. And, yeah, 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 right? yeah, totally. Um, but so I, you know, in preparing for this episode, I did a little bit of reading about raising goats. And, um, you know, I was reading this one article that was sort of talking about um, how goat meat is inherently potentially more sustainable than other meats. Yeah. Um, and part of the argument is that goats play this sort of important role in a farm's ecology. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like what... Um, what is that role? I think you started to kind of hint at it earlier in the episode. Well, I mean, that isn't, <clears throat> I would say that isn't the case in the European system because mm. the European systems are set, I mean, they're all housed in the European system. So they, they're it. not free range. They, they're all indoors um, and they are dairy units. So in terms of a, in a, in a more, in a sort of small holding area, then yes, I mean, they would play a role in, uh, in land management essentially i mm-hmm. mean they are they are the most efficient hoovers you know and they're really good at that and um but that isn't that isn't the system that we work in in the, in the u.s and we I mean, in the uk sorry and i mm. one of the things that really was a sort of a moral decision for us to make right at the beginning was i'm and i say this in the book i'm emotionally a free ranger you know mm. i believe that animals should be kept outside did we want to be involved in a system that had entirely housed animals and the answer to that was, well, we can either be involved in that system and try and and try and do something about the bigger problem, which is the euthanizing of the billies at birth, mm. or we can ignore it and hope it goes away. And I've always felt it's better to be involved and try and make positive change from the inside than just down on the outside throwing tomatoes at it. You know what I mean? It's just right. And so, the, so the the role that they play on a on a more traditional farm is very di- different, obviously, than a dairy that is just about producing liquid milk. Right. So are there, there isn't, um, a large, is, are there not a lot of farms that are, are actually raising goats for like for meat in the UK at all? There are, but okay. they're on a much smaller scale. Mm. So there will be, um, sort of, they will be small farms that are, that are producing sort of for mail order. Um, the thing about it though, is that the economics of the whole system don't really work unless the dairy is involved. So the animals that are being raised just for meat aren't any cheaper than the animals that are on a dairy system because you have these economics of scale, as I said before, about these larger group, these larger dairies. But also the, the things that hold back a sort of just a single meat production are weight of carcass at slaughter. So okay. weight is money in farming. So a, a billy goat will be maybe 20 kilos, 22 kilos. They'll, they, they'll only have two kids normally. And you have to house the nanny goats all year round. So and all of that cost falls on these billy goats. To, and that doesn't really work in terms of that. So animals that are reared just for meat, goats are just reared for meat, 
are as expensive as the ones that comes in the dairy system. So there isn't any advantage, really. And it's there isn't really any advantage to keeping them just as meat animals. So, mm. And it doesn't address the problem of the knocking the billies on the head. You know? And in terms of scale, if you want to make a sustainable business, you have to have a certain number of products to sell. The dairy system offers you that because they, these animals are being born anyway. Right. So th- th- we, in order to make a sort of nationwide almost... Uh, to get into those sort of larger distribution networks, you need to access the dairy market because no one's going to keep 100,000 meat goats, mm. but there are 100,000 milk goats. Right. So it is there. But so theoretically, if um, you had a, gra- a dairy that was grass-fed, I mean, you could te- you could technically source the billies from a farm like that. And Yeah. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> this this is where it becomes this is where it becomes problematic. Okay. In terms of the ethics of those kind of dairies. So, as I said before, I'm an emotional free ranger. When we were when we were talking about researching the book, when I was researching the book, I felt like I I needed to explain why the animals are kept indoors all the time. Mm-hmm. So we I did a uh, an interview with a Dutch small ruminant specialist, a vet called Marguerite Goonsfeld, and she said if you're keeping animals on any sort of scale. You need to goat animal goats specifically goats. This okay. isn't applicable to any other farm animal with goats because of their complex because of their complex um, digestive systems mm. and because of their weak feet. In order to ma- from an animal welfare point of view, if you're keeping goats on any type of scale, you need to keep them indoors. So I'll explain hmm. I'll explain why now. Okay. First of all, it's managing the feed. So goats have a really uh, really complex stomach system which is governed by the rumen. And nine times out of ten, if there's something wrong with the goat, it's the rumen. So they don't, in order to manage what they eat, because they can't, contrary to what people believe, goats can't just survive on anything. They're actually really fussy eaters. Mm. So you, in order to manage the animal's health, you need to manage its diet. Okay. They, don't, they also don't have any natural protections to the sort of parasites that live in damp grass and ground that you get in the UK. So cows and sheep, which are indigenous animals, have thousands of years of building up a resistance to these flukes and to these parasites you put goats onto those and they don't have those resistance it'll make the goats unwell Hmm. the other thing is that their feet their feet designed for dry arid climates and obviously in the uk it's very damp ground Mm. so you would have a a lot of in, in short you would have more vet intervention if you kept them outside than if you kept them inside okay now there's a big difference between an animal being sick and an animal losing production. Animal doesn't have to be showing outward signs of being ill in order to lose 10, 15% of his milk production. That 10, 15% over 2,000, 2,500 nannies is a big impact on the viability of that farm in terms of its milk sales. Mm. So in order to make those farms, from an animal welfare point of view, leading to less vet intervention and from the, uh, from the financial success point of view of the of the dairy industry, they need to be kept indoors. And that's a really hard pill for me to swallow. Mm. But we interviewed one of the Europe's leading small ruminant specialists, and that was what she said. So I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know better than someone that has dedicated their whole life to the well-being of these animals. It's still quite difficult for me to swallow. Right. And so then what what do they actually eat? So they have have, uh, like a ground... 
sorry, I just want to find They have like a ground uh, nut, like a pig nut or a, or a mm. calf wiener pellet, which will have everything they need in terms of their nutrition. Mm. And that will be an ad lib feed for the, for the kids. That'll be an ad lib feed. And they also have straw and hay, which will also be ad lib. Um, the nanny goats have ad lib straw and hay, but they have a ration. So every time they uh, go, on the, go on the rotary milk parlor, the amount of food they need drops in front of them. So their diets are really well managed. And that, that also has an implication for the consistency of the milk. Mm-hmm. So one of the things when the UK goat dairy first got going, they found that they had a really fluctuating quality product. So in order to manage the quality of that milk product, they, they manage the consistency of the feed. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a complex argument and it's difficult to it's difficult for me to accept that if you are to keep these animals on a large scale, they need to be kept indoors there. That raises the question, do we need to go dairy industry? And that is a, that is a, that is a valid argument to have, but that isn't the world that we live in. And the dairy system at the moment exists and it is going strong in the UK. There's 350,000 milking nannies in Holland. There's a million milking nannies in France. Those industries aren't going away anytime soon. And the bigger problem, I think, other than the indoor nature and the animal welfare nature of, and the animal welfare argument surrounding the housed goats, the biggest problem in that industry for me is knocking the billy goats on the head and chucking them in the bin mm-hmm. as soon as they're born. So I work within that system trying to solve one of the wrongs rather than say, I'm not going to get involved in it because I don't agree with it. Right. So do you find that hard in terms of selling the meat that you sell? Um, do people want to know, you know, like where, where is this coming from? What it, you know, I don't, I don't even know what the right terms are when it comes to sure. goat, right? Like you, you want it to be free range, grass fed, organic. I feel like everybody wants to know. So is that a challenge to explain like yes. how do you, everything you just said, it was really fascinating but you can't put all that on a menu or a label right like that would be yeah but what you can say is that if we don't eat these they get shot and put in the bin yeah and that is a one of the things goat has this great story not just the you know the humans of history of humans and goats and all that stuff is fascinating and the amazing cheese they produce Mm. and you know the sort of general utility of these animals is pretty amazing um but it has a really in terms of uh food sustainability message it's pretty under you can pretty you can understand it in one sentence you know these animals are being shot euthanized that's really stupid let's rear them up for me and eat them you know? right and we can talk about that all day long you know and yeah. we can talk about the ethics of all that and we can talk about the good story behind goat and we can talk about you know the husbandry and what we've done in terms of its ethical message all of that doesn't mean anything if it doesn't taste good right you know because you're not going to be able to sell it if it doesn't taste good it's, it's funny. Like I no, I totally agree with you. And I and now my my mind is just like really running because um, <laughs> you're you're bringing up so many interesting. Well, that's but- the thing. I mean, the thing the thing about the goat industry, it's a great snapshot of the sort of food system that we have. You know, it, it, right. A lot of the issues in the wider food system are sort of coalesced around goats. There is a dairy system. Should we have a dairy system? There is housed animals. Should we have housed animals? There is waste in the system because right. we euthanize the bit. There's a lot of things that force itself in this little sort of goat question, which I which makes it really interesting to talk about. Right. Well, and it's it, I guess where my mind went is you're you're sort of brilliantly solving this one issue and this one like ethical problem, which is that these goats are being right yeah. shot in the head, and it's waste and 
and you're creating a food source from that. Um, but in a strange way, you're almost like helping industrial farms solve a problem that they created sure. that, right. That's part of a system that you're saying you're not even sure you believe in. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Um, I, here's the thing about the UK and I can only speak with any authority about the UK. Yeah. The UK dairy industry is 20, 25 years old. Right? So it's run by a load of people that have chosen to be part of the dairy system. Mm -hmm. They're almost self-selecting bunch of forward-thinking farmers because they've looked at what they've got and they've looked at changing trends and thought, goat is the next big thing. I'm going to get into that. Mm -hmm. and, they have, and they have chosen to be in it, which means things in the dairy industry aren't done like dad used to do it and his dad used to do it and they're not stuck in their ways in that kind of, in the way that it is produced. They're always looking for improvements. Mm -hmm. So... And one of the ways that, um, that that manifests itself is the selective breeding they use to increase the yields of the of the of the goats, the, right. the milk yield, and they're not doing that based on just trying to produce goats of bigger and bigger udders. They're trying to produce goats that are that are more um, that are stronger yeah, and less uh, susceptible to disease. And the thing that that does is like the average milking yield from a goat is anywhere between 600 and 800 litres a year mm -hmm. through selective breeding and the genetic work of selective breeding which in this case is only speeding up what's been done for years in terms of selective breeding you can do it through genetics and instead of having to rear the animal over three years and keep its records of its milk production and then compare it to the old ones to see if you've got a better animal you can take a blood test and see in a like as soon as it's born mm -hmm. That will increase the yield from the farm. You can essentially double your production without increasing your carbon inputs. Mm. So your animal, your farm becomes more efficient in terms of its, in, of its impact. So it is really, really complex. Mm. But again, the sort of focus of Cabrito is pretty lasered at. All of that stuff, I am generally interested in that yeah. stuff. You know, and I think it's fascinating and brilliant to discuss. And as I said, it's a microcosm of some of the problems in farming more generally. Mm. But Cabrito's focus is yeah, all well, that's out there and I won't be able to solve all of that, but I can solve this problem. So yeah. I'm going to get involved in this problem. And I, you're right. There are, there are elements of it that I find challenging, but in the end you come back to, well, these animals should be going into the food system. Right. Like so it, it, you do have to balance those things out and that's, you know, you have to do that in life with a lot of things. Right. Absolutely. And is there, um, are you seeing this happening anywhere else other than in the UK? Like, are you working with other people who have similar models in other places? Yeah, we are. Um, like I said, there's a million, there's a million billy goats being slaughtered every year in France. I mean, it's uh. a huge number, almost like you can't get your head around that number, you know? Um, and especially when you think, well, I've got to try and do something about that. Am I really going to be able to sell a million billy goats in France? <laughs> who knows? But there, there is, we have been working with a, with a, uh, on a project called the Food Heroes Project, which mm. is part funded by the EU and part funded by a farming organisation, that and it was it wasn't just about goats; it was focused on waste in farming more generally. So they did things about the male chickens. They also do things about wonky veg and that kind mm. of stuff, trying to find markets. And right. they also did bycatch in fish. So it was a, it was a project focused on food waste more generally. Mm. But they um, they came to us because they had seen that we had had some success in the UK. And now we're working with the Food Heroes Project in France and in Germany um, and in um, France, Germany and the Netherlands. Mm. So we've got a pilot project running in the Netherlands. That 
each system is different as i said before we have this sort of large industrial side like commercial side mm-hmm. the and so does holland and in germany it's much more like the small farmers making cheese on the farm as it is here and in france obviously it's this massive juggernaut of a thing mm. um there's some problems in terms of rearing the animals that we've solved in the uk um and again each each sort of territory is different but in we castrate the animals as soon as they're born in the UK, which means the meat never gets tainted. Mm. So an animal will get from birth to slaughter in sort of six months. Hence, you know, they're born in March and Goatober is when Goatober oh, is because it's it. a six month later. Um, if you castrate, if you don't castrate the animals, you're up against the clock. There will be a point at which they'll become mature and the, and the meat will get tainted. So that's... What do you mean by tainted? Uh, the male hormone... Uh. They will start to smell, and that so smelly goat. They do become quite smelly when they're sexually mature, okay. uh, and that is that also taints the meat. So if you castrate them, you remove that. You're not up against that clock. Okay. It also allows you to, because you know that I don't have to sell them within six months, otherwise they're tainted. You can extend them beyond sort of to eight months, and you get slightly heavier carcasses more generally, which make them more profitable for us. Mm. They also make them a better product in terms of what chefs and consumers want out of them that that they become a little bit more the yield the meat to meat to bone ratio becomes better Mm. um and it also gives the farmer a little bit of leeway because he thinks okay well i if they're not castrated i have to sell them by the time they're six months old if they're not i've got an extra two months to sell them so it gives them a little bit of security and that has allowed us to so if, when we first started, we were starting selling like 100 a year. Mm. And then the next year we sold 500, then we sold 1,000. Farmers felt like they could keep more alive because they knew that they had this, they didn't have a definite time they had to sell them. Mm. Anywhere between six and nine months, we can sell them now. And you can manage their weight by pulling them off the intensive for the hard feed, keep them on straw and hay. They won't lose the, and sort of ease out the, in, the ad lib feed and you will... You can manage their weights, their slaughter weights much better. You can't do that if you castrate them because they're definitely going to get tainted at but around six months. So that was how it worked in in the Netherlands. Okay. And they had some, well, the farmers were quite anti-castrating them because they thought it was, I don't understand it. You know, I don't, People do it to their dogs and cats and don't mm. think twice about it. So, we, so we've now persuaded some of the farms to run trial products based projects based on our rearing plan, okay. which means you've got a better quality animal, a better quality finished meat animal, which is more, um, which is more uh, attractive to butchers and to and to chefs. chefs. So that's kind of that that model is kind of what we're exporting. So we're we're working in Holland and we're working in France with that. But it's I mean it's a huge it's a huge challenge. Yeah. What about in the US? I mean, I know that's not your expertise, but I I mean, do we even like I don't know anything about goat dairies in the US. Like sure. do we even have a a lot of goat dairy happening here? Yeah, well that the goat table was started by Aaron because yeah. obviously Anne Taxelby was working with those right. far, those farmers up. I mean, I was in Chelsea Market yesterday and ate my way through about five plates of cheese. Mm. All that stuff comes from the New England area, right? So there are there are smaller. They're just small. Yeah, yeah. small scale, yeah. small scale producing on farm cheese. So farmhouse cheese making, mm-hmm. where you've got the herd and the sort of concentrating on the terroir of the region and the input that has into the cheese flavors yeah. and that kind of stuff. Obviously, because. France is this big juggernaut of goat's cheese. It has a much more... I mean, France probably got the most sophisticated industrial 
farming system in the world. Mm. And obviously in that there is the goat system. Right. So they're very different models. And which is one of the challenges of what we're doing. So we're trying to adapt trying the success that we've had in the UK, trying to replicate that through these different territories with their different systems it's not a one-size-fits-all thing you know but they all have the same goal that all of these everybody knows we can't do this you know and everybody knows it needs to be stopped and the way to do that is i think the way that we have kind of shown right well that's a great note to end on (laughs) (laughs) um unfortunately we are out of time thank you so much for being here my pleasure um, and if you want to check out James book, it's called goat cooking and eating. That's right. right? Yeah, that yeah. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. and actually, um, for anyone who's listening, who is in New York, um, do you want to mention, are there any events that people can go to yeah, tonight, to October? tonight in Brooklyn at Claro okay. TJ's cooking on a couple of big green eggs that we've got for, uh, for the smoking, smoking the goats, making some tacos and some tostadas. And then mm. tomorrow, um, we're in the East village at Hurtas. Um, we're doing some goat pinchos and a few bits and I'm going to be there talking about well, all this stuff all over again because <laughs> <laughs> it's what, what I do <laughs> perfect <laughs> thanks again brilliant uh, thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network if you enjoyed the conversation please subscribe rate and share it we'll see you next week Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.